Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in an era of stakeholder capitalism. Our host, Sir Rob Wainwright, talks with business leaders and experts about their experiences in charting a new direction towards commercial success and greater societal impact. Our special guest today is Dr. Pat Harnett, Chief Executive Officer of the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. Dr. Harnett is an expert on culture change, ethical leadership, and workplace reporting and retaliation. She was selected by Ethisphere magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in business ethics and was named one of the top thought leaders in trust. Today, Rob and Dr. Pat Harnett talk about the trends affecting organizations and their ethics and compliance efforts. Over to you, Rob. Brilliant. Thank you, Vaidehi, and a warm welcome to you today, Pat. Thanks so much for joining us to talk about ethics and compliance in the workplace. After a year in which the focus on diversity, equity and inclusion has taken on a new impetus, following, of course, the uh, George Floyd case and maybe the Me Too movement that, that preceded it. Well, let's start with hearing a little bit more about the global initiative you run, Pat, and perhaps the findings from your recent report on these issues that you did right across industry. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Let me just, to your question, take a moment and tell you about my organization. The Ethics and Compliance Initiative is the oldest nonprofit in the United States, potentially arguably globally, that has been dedicated to helping organizations build and sustain the kinds of cultures that allow them to operate with high levels of integrity, reduce their risks, um, and otherwise help employees be engaged and do their best work in the workplace. Our work revolves around a couple of different areas. Primarily, we do research to try to understand the things that business leaders can do to maximize their commitment to integrity. Um, We have a membership base of ethics and compliance practitioners from companies, largely companies, but organizations of all sorts from all around the world. What sort of numbers, Pat, what what sort of numbers are are supporting you right now in the initiative? How, How many companies at the moment? Our membership structure is largely based on companies joining as organizations. And so we have about 500 global organizations that are a part of the organization. That's, 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 that's a very sizable base and, and a great history that you say, you know, you're one of the oldest yes. nonprofits. And one so- of the things that I think makes us unique is that our membership tends to be organizations that are very committed to having the best possible programs in place. They care about organizational integrity. We're sort of the 2.0 of ethics and compliance or global integrity. And so that's why we're very pleased to have so many organizations that are a part of it. And it gives you a, a great foundation, of course, to to survey the landscape, the state of, of ethics and compliance across industry as a whole, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, tell me a little bit, Pat, because uh, I mentioned in my introduction, uh, I noticed that you release an annual report. You've just done, I think, this year's. What's that telling you about about where we are right now, where we've come on on ethics and compliance? The flagship research study that we do is called the Global Business Ethics Survey. And it's fairly unique because it is a longitudinal study of work ethics in the workplace from the employee's perspective. We started it in 1994. Um, So this year, we actually, we field it every year. We release several reports during a year, but 
Every other year, we issue a trend report, and that is the report that we just very recently released to the business community. And what we found overall was that um, in terms of the extent to which employees are observing wrongdoing in the workplace over the past 12 months, whether that be a violation of corporate standards or a violation of the law, no matter what region of the world they're in, um, observed misconduct didn't rise too much, which was a surprise given the fact that uh, we had been through so much as a global community with COVID and all sorts of other business pressures happening. But we also found that the extent to which organizations are building strong ethical cultures has also not changed too much, which is worrisome. Um, and I know we may come back to that, but culture is very important in setting and maintaining a standard of integrity in the workplace. And if you're not building and sustaining a strong culture, it spells trouble for the global business community. We also saw reporting the extent to which employees uh, report suspected wrongdoing rise exponentially. But the bad news along with that was that the retaliation against people who came forward to report also rose exponentially. So good news and bad news um, across all of these trends taken together. One of the things that we said and concluded in the report was that we're concerned about the direction the business community is heading globally, because when employees tell us they feel pressure to compromise standards, which they indicated in the survey, when we don't see cultures increasing in their strength. And even though reporting is on the rise, when we see very high levels of retaliation, it means that companies are at higher risk for misconduct rates to go up. I mean, that's quite interesting um, because I'm surprised, perhaps you were, by you know, levels of retaliation being you know, that high uh, and, and the trend going in the wrong direction. Surprised also because, as I said in my introduction, you know, we, we've had a year, not just this exceptional impact of the pandemic, but also a year or two in which issues of, of diversity, inclusion, George Floyd, the Me Too movement, you'd have assumed, would have thought, would have kind of heightened the awareness and sensitivity around those issues. So you, you wonder about what that's saying, actually, um, around tolerance for sexual harassment, for, you know, to take one example of that. If the levels of retaliation are, are, are still unacceptably high, um, are you not surprised maybe but that the sort of a more general interest or priority around these issues in society is not being translated in, in the right kind of trend direction in your report? There were some things about that finding that were not surprising and some things that were. So as I was mentioning, we were told by employees, 86% of people who observed wrongdoing in their workplace or suspected wrongdoing reported it somehow within their organization. Almost 80% of those people experienced retaliation for having done so. The part about that that is not surprising to us as the researchers is that we have seen very consistently over time that reporting and retaliation tend to rise and fall together. The surprise this time, though, was the extent to which levels of retaliation went up. And it's, it's hard to know. It's a 44% increase over the last time 
that we conducted this trend portion of the research. That is a significant rise. And it's hard to know whether that is driven by um, more people actually experiencing harm in the workplace, to your point. Or it's also possible that given all that's gone on in the world, the conversations around discrimination, the, the move, Me Too movement, um, the, the death of George Floyd and the protests, it's also possible that more people have greater awareness of what retaliation is, and they're more likely to say that they've experienced it. Either way, it's not good because the goal for any organization is to make sure you have systems in place so that management and the board will be aware when problems come up. And when you have high levels of retaliation, it has a silencing effect on your workplace, which means essentially that leaders are flying blind. Do you think in, in terms of thinking about, about the leaders and, and the responsibilities of boards and, 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 and leaders, are they putting in the right systems and processes now. Are we seeing a positive trend, at least in that direction, that, that at least from a leadership point of view, there is more priority now being uh, you know, thrown to this, to this issue? Are, are we seeing that being translated in the right kind of systems that you would like? Yes, we are seeing that more organizations are putting into place the kinds of programs, the internal controls, that are effective in helping management to be aware of problems taking place. But I would argue that most companies measure the effectiveness of those systems by how many helpline hotline reports they get. And what we have also learned from this research over time is that only about 5% of employees who are observing wrongdoing are bringing it through the hotline or helpline. So if company leadership is looking at those numbers and judging their well-being by those, they're missing about 95% of reports. So the systems, while they are good, they need to be expanded to include reports that are coming to managers. That is the first place that employees go to report wrongdoing. Yeah, I, I get that point. I get a sense again, sort of, you know, just, just from, from afar, um, that because of the events that we've talked about, maybe, you know, you see issues of diversity, equity, inclusion more to the fore, maybe, um, you know, for the first time being talked amongst groups of CEOs, for example, and boards in, at a higher level than I've seen before. Is that, is that a fair observation or, or, or am I misreading what's actually happening out there, do you think? I think that's a very fair observation and it's a very good thing. I think never before have we seen so many business leaders talking about the importance of diversity in the boardroom, diversity at high levels of management in the organization. Um, but I would also add to that, that when we asked employees at various levels in their organizations this year, if they've experienced discrimination, the numbers went up. So even though we're talking about diversity at high levels, we have a ways to go in terms of increasing diversity at lower levels of the workplace, but even perhaps more importantly, addressing the extent to which discrimination, racism is taking place within the rank and file portions of the business. Those are equally harmful to an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And and it points, I think, I mean, you're right in the sense that we've also seen greater attention at 
kind of gender equality, for example, in the boardroom, um, whether or not that's reflected all the way down the organization in recruitment, for example, is another matter. But but also what do you point to, I think, is, is this bigger challenge around culture, about changing the culture, because all of the factors that you've talked about in terms of retaliation, for example, really reflects in the end organizational culture, I suppose. And and it's it's you mentioned this earlier as well, what is it about culture here that is so important and that maybe is so challenging to change? We have looked at culture and worked on metrics to try to understand how you can gauge culture, measure the strength of a culture for quite a long time. And one of the things that we've learned is that there are essentially two drivers, primary drivers of culture in an organization. The first is the tone coming from the top. And I I think that's something that we've been talking about in the business community for a very long time. It's the first thing that people mention when they talk about culture. But the other major driver is is a person's immediate supervisor. That person is the individual who interprets the tone coming from the top, either positively or negatively. That's the person that's most likely to receive reports of wrongdoing. That's the person who sets expectations, gives rewards, incentives to employees. And so it, when we look at culture, when you measure it, it's partially about perceptions of the extent to which leaders at the highest levels are talking about the importance of integrity, modeling that conduct. But we also ask those questions about immediate supervisors. And unfortunately, we continue to see that about one in five employees in a workplace will say that their supervisor is either abusive or intimidating, which has a very detrimental effect on the culture of an organization. But then it depends, if that is the case, then it also depends on on, on processes to a certain extent and systems being in place to, to then institute some corrective behavior around the one in five, I guess. So, um, you know, having negative cultures is a feature of every organization to a certain extent but but then doing something about it is 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 another challenge i guess absolutely i think most businesses i would argue spend a great deal of time looking at success defining success in terms of performance of based upon business objectives But when it comes to culture, there's a need to also set expectations that people in a leadership position, whether that's a frontline manager, mid-level person, senior leader, um, if culture is a consideration in a business, it's also about how much are they actually listening to employees, inviting diverse opinions, Uh, recognizing and positively reinforcing employees who display the behaviors that um, demonstrate the company's standards. How well are they trained in hearing, recognizing when an employee is bringing a report of wrongdoing forward and how effective are they in handling it? Those are all the, the, the systems essentially that need to be in place to strengthen a culture. Um, I think part of the challenge for a lot of organizations is that we're talking about softer skills, things that are harder to articulate, harder to put into performance objectives, harder to measure, but not impossible. Um, When organizations actually do those things, especially put 
those kinds of behaviors into performance metrics for managers, you do see employees' perceptions of the strength of the culture change in positive ways. And I guess you've seen some examples of, of very good practice, maybe industry industry best practice models out there. Are there, you know, if business leaders are listening to this today, are there sort of examples out there that they could learn from, do you think? I think there's some excellent examples out there. Um, when thinking about global organizations with large footprints across multiple operations, a very big part of it is having a single articulation of the values of the organization um, that help employees to understand what good conduct actually looks like. And it gives leaders common language to refer to good behavior when they see it. Um, But then there's also the ability for codes of conduct and standards to be um, a reflection of local culture of, you know, or different business units and how they operate. So especially global efforts allow some room for cultural differences. But then probably the most important thing that an organization can do and the best practice out there is to have training and even cheat sheets, if you will, to help anybody in a management position know what to do when an employee comes forward to report misconduct. Um, most managers either miss it altogether because it's they just think of it as yet another complaint from an employee, or in responding to it, they're not effective in helping the employee to understand what will happen from there. So those are just some practices that I've seen that I think are, are really excellent and do make a big difference. That's really interesting. Um, Look, Pat. Before we wrap up, I'm just just wondering, um, in terms of the you know message that you send to to the business community, I suppose going back to basics, really, it might be obvious to you and to many people. But if you were to boil this down as to why all of this really matters for any company, how, how what would you say? I think without a consistent and collective commitment across different businesses and different industries around the world to having a high standard of integrity, if we don't achieve that, um, we end up with more laws, more regulation, more enforcement, more fines, all the things that business leaders and boards just despise having to focus on and hear about. But the other thing is that for a single organization, The difference between an organization that has a strong set of values and systems in place and managers that support the standards of the organization and a company that doesn't really invest in that, the difference is substantial, both in terms of the amount of wrongdoing that happens, the amount of reporting that happens, but also employee engagement, productivity, outcomes for the company. So there is there there is science out there, there are numbers out there that will demonstrate why these kinds of things are an, are a very important investment for an organization. Well, absolutely, and I'm sure everyone listening today will will agree with that. Pat, Pat, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this really interesting and important issue in our business community right now. Well, the murder of George Floyd, as we've been hearing, shook the world, but it also triggered a new level of introspection and concern across the business community and perhaps other areas of society about our ethical standards and practices on diversity and inclusion. 
Issues of gender equality and non-tolerance of sexual harassment in the workplace have also occupied a greater share of interest in society. In business, this is about the standards of ethics and compliance in the workplace, something which Pat Hamid and the global initiative she runs monitors and reports on globally. Her latest findings do point to an improving situation in many ways and indeed to better levels of ethical leadership. But it also carries a warning that we still have far to go, for example, over how levels of retaliation employees received after reporting unethical behaviours, how that area still needs to be fixed. All of that and other areas in the report's findings point to a challenge of cultural change that still needs to be won. Running a responsible business in this new age of companies being focused more on a purpose-led agenda is often about prioritising actions and delivering impact on sustainability or on responsible digital transformation and so much more. But it is also very much about people, on consumers and citizens, and of course the employees of all companies, ensuring they feel valued in a more diverse, equitable and inclusive environment and holding them to account for their ethical conduct. That runs to the very heart of what any company is about, as Pat has described today. And indeed, it runs to the core of what it means to be a responsible business. Thank you for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune into our next episode. Please review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using. And find out more on Deloitte.nl. See you next time.